Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking knots? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Welcome new people. Welcome all. Big show today. Lily Tomlin's on the show. Lily Tomlin, who I've wanted to talk to for a long time, and I talked to her. It was a big day that I talked to her. It was a big day of of talking to people. And we got off on some nice tangents and we got into some good information and we got had a couple laughs. It was a very it was an honor to talk to a Lily Tomlin. I'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about my tour. You wanna? Thursday, January 30th, Cleveland, Ohio, at the Agora Theater. I'm telling you these dates again, especially on these larger guest shows, because this might be it, folks. You never know with me if I'm going to hang up my laughing shoes. Is that is that a thing? Do you have laughing shoes, laughing gloves? going to hang up my laugh mitts. Might hang up my laughy mittens. Uh, Friday, January 31st, Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Fountain Street Church. Saturday, February 1st, Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Turner Hall Ballroom. Friday, February 14th, Orlando, Florida at Hard Rock Live. Saturday, February 15th, Tampa, Florida at the Straz. Going to be at the Straz Center. Thursday, February 20th, Portland, Maine at the State Theater. Friday, February 21st, Providence, Rhode Island, Columbus Theater. Saturday, February 22nd, New Haven, Connecticut at College Street Music Hall. And Sunday, February 23rd, Huntington, New York at the Paramount. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for links to all the venues. I'm definitely going to need my laugh mittens for these shows. Some of them. Del Rey is going to be uh, opening for me at all of them. Del Rey has uh, covered more territory than I have. I think Del Rey's been to some of these markets already, so you get to see Del Rey twice if you're a Del Rey fan and a Mark Marin fan. Or perhaps you're just coming to see Del Rey. I don't care what you do. I'll have my laugh mittens on. I'll be ready to go. My funny long johns, my hilarious red union suit with the button-down butt thing so you can poop out of it, little trap door on the back. Maybe I got one of those. I used to have one of those. You know, when you look back at the clothing you've had, where are those pants? Am I right? Am I? Where's my union suit? What happened to that red union suit I had? I used to wear it in Boston. I used to wear it in Maine. I used to wear it back in the day. Had beautiful sweaters. Big cardigan sweaters. Are they cardigans? Pullovers. I had, like, what happened to those wool pants? I had some amazing sort of, I think they were Danish military issue wool pants that I wore with suspenders. Thick wool. I had big old boots, 
back in the Boston days. Where's my overcoat? Who's wearing my clothes from back then? Who's got my stuff? I had a couple pairs of wool pants. I was a suspender guy for a minute. Not in a real way, but in sort of a clown way. But anyways, enough about that. I'm going to be uh, in Georgia this week. I think this is the last big chunk of stuff I'm doing for the Aretha Franklin film, Respect. So I'll be down there. Maybe I'll do some sets down there, some surprisers. I'll let you know if you care. I will tell you on Instagram, I believe, is how I'll do it. And maybe Twitter, okay? So I got a beautiful painting from a fan, a woman, or a woman who listens to the show, a painter named Paula Nelson of La Fonda's Head. And it's so beautiful. It's such a nice piece of, uh, of tribute. It made me very excited. So I have a painting of uh, my, uh, my cat La Fonda that passed away recently, most of you know. And I thank Paula for that a lot. Someone told me she might be the painter of the things that, that for Trader Joe's. I don't know what that means. But, um, but it's a lovely painting, and, and she, does, she does nice work. Her, yeah, I think I have her Instagram. I think it is at woe, W-H-O-A, lower dash, Nelson. Is that what you call that? A lower dash, lower slash, or lower, not a slash. A, I don't fucking know. You know, the underlying thing. So, yeah, that was very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. I, I appreciate that. So last night I went to a thing. I was uh, invited to a thing, and I and Lynn and I went to a thing. She's a film director. It was a film thing. And I, I think I primarily went to it because I thought she would enjoy it. And I believe we did. And I didn't know about the movie. Here's what I'm getting at. This guy I know, he's a fan of mine, He's a and he's also a, an artist in his own right in a lot of ways, Peter Conheim. He's in the band Negative Land, but he's also a film archivist. And he invites me to a lot of things, and he sends me records and stuff, and I've not, you know, I've not really gone. Like, sometimes I'm in the Bay Area, he'll be like, you want to come over to my basement and see a pristine print of Clute? And I'll be like, I don't know, Peter. I don't know. I don't think I do. But it's not, it's a time thing. But anyways, he had a, a, a big part of, in the restoration of this film, which I knew nothing about. It was called Spring Night, Summer Night. The director is J.L. Anderson. It's in this program over there at UCLA. It's the Film and Television Archive. Okay. They got a program going over there. It's American Neorealism. Now, look, I'm, I'm no dummy. I'm, I'm half an intellectual. I studied film in college, but it'd been a long time since I went to an event or to see a film that was specifically in, in the context of not just archiving, but, you know, a series of a certain type of film. And also, like, it, it was a film nerd event in a lot of ways, but it's also a film art thing. It's, a, it's, it's sort of a found piece of film in a way, a found feature film that has been salvaged from obscurity and it's been a long time since I've done that you know when you're in college you do that shit you gotta we gotta see this movie then we're gonna get a lecture on the movie and you appreciate it now look I've got the tools you know I mean the film was sort of the story was kind of stunning and dark it takes place in rural Ohio southeastern Ohio it's almost a Faulknerian tale of a of a family uh, but it's like later. I mean, I think it's from 1967, but it was beautiful. And there was a, a life to it, a vitality to it in this new print that Peter worked on. It's a digital print. And it's the first time I think the film has been shown in its entirety. Maybe, I don't know if it's ever, but it 
It's went. It's gone through quite a history. Apparently, it was released with some other footage added to make it a little more sorted uh, for the drive-in crowd. And this is the way that the director wanted it. But I don't. I don't do that kind of stuff. And the guy who presented it, the, the people at the UCLA Film Archive, you know, one guy introduced the other guy who had a long beard. This is a 14-year project bringing this thing to the theater. Everyone's very excited. Uh, who's there? It was a pretty packed house. And, you know, it was sort of stunning. And I'd forgotten what it's like to just take that stuff in, but like to go and see an event and hear people speak on the, the sort of uh, revelation of the movie and the construction of the movie and the archiving and, and bringing it back to life of the movie was sort of fascinating. The guy, one of the guys had a remarkable beard, just a great beard. And this is their life, man. You know, this is their life is like archiving movies you know, pulling them out of obscurity or, or, or to, you know, decomposing and, you know, so they don't, you know, just disappear forever. And I don't know. I, I think there was a time where I, and I've talked about this before when it comes to art and context, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the program is American neorealism. No matter what I know about movies or what I can talk about and how I can talk about it, I'm no fucking deep film nerd. I'm no film academic. I'm no film fucking uh, intellectual. I know what I know and I, I know enough to watch it properly. But there's always been this feeling that when anything is, is sort of revisited by academia or, or written about in a certain context or put under the umbrella of American neorealism at a certain point in history, I mean, I know Italian neorealism. I've seen Rome Open City. I know, I know things, but like I automatically think that no matter whatever experience I have watching the film that it's like I'm missing something what am I missing and I think the breakthrough I had maybe last night or recently is that I didn't miss anything that you know you take it in it's not there to solve all your problems you know it could blow you away it could change the configuration of your synapses but it could also just be like I get it and you know it was really amazing for these reasons and I can appreciate that and I understand what the context is and why it's there and it definitely was uh, you know something that changed the way I look at something I guess I've given myself a break and I think uh, I'm going to see more stuff now and this sort of ties in with Lily Tomlin because I watched all of Nashville before I talked to her and I hadn't seen that film in a while and I'd forgotten how it ended and I'd seen it two or three times and that's a film from 19 probably 75 and um, Lily Tomlin is genius in it. She's like, it's a straight up acting gig and it's fucking unbelievable. And the whole movie is sort of unbelievable. The cast is insane. Ned Beatty, Ronnie Blakely, Keith Carradine, Geraldine Chaplin, Henry Gibson, Michael Murphy, Lily Tomlin. Jeff Goldblum has this weird part in it uh, that's pretty great. I believe Lily Tomlin was uh, nominated for an Oscar for her work in, uh, in, in, the, in the film. And it's definitely a sort of a masterpiece of a sort, as are many of Altman's films. One of my favorite movies is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And it's a whole different pace, a whole different groove. It has its own context. It, you know, Altman is it's his own world. They're definitely you know sort of art movies, but uh, sort of lyrical and uh, well populated and well financed movies. Uh, unlike the kind of independent nature of the film I saw last night, made in 1967 on a fairly shoestring budget in black and white. That's the other thing you learn is that, you know, relatively independent cinema has been around a long time and there's a lot of gems out there. But Nashville, it was great to watch it. It's a it's a weird, dark movie. 
as are many of the Altman films. And Lily Tom was also amazing in Shortcuts. She was coupled with Tom Waits, and it was one of the beautiful relationships in that movie. Anyways, from laughing, from her one-person shows, nine to five, the movie's like, I'm, I'm giving her a big buildup as if she's going to walk in here. It was an honor to talk to this woman, and I've been waiting to do it for a long time. So this is me talking to Lily Tomlin, who is uh, on Grace and Frankie, which premieres on Netflix this Wednesday, January 15th. It is the the new season. And I talked to her uh, co-star Jane Fonda. Maybe I'll get the other ones. Anyways, me and Lily, uh, right now. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. I'm very excited you're here. Are we taking vitamins? Yeah. What do you got? A load of stuff. Yeah? They're from my alternative doctor. The alternative doctor. <laughs> is is it does that do they have a degree alternative? Absolutely. Yeah. He's an MD, he's a biochemist. Really? So it, and then he has an MD. And it's like nutrition-based kind of deal? Yeah, with your blood and all that. Right. Do you find... I don't feel a bit different. <laughs> nothing, right? And I must take about 50 a day. And nothing? You don't feel any different? No. Why? Jesus, you're going <laughs> to... Maybe we should just... You want to go a lot, about 20 minutes? Would they just take the pills? That's a lot. Do you know what's in them? Well, pretty. I know what the formula is. Yeah, but I don't know. Oh, okay. I couldn't make it myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Uh, what? What made you go get all the supplements? Because I just stopped taking supplements. Oh, did you? That's yeah. probably smart. But you know, I'm trying to squeeze one last year out of Grace and Frankie. Uh huh. And you were what getting tired? Or <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> I I told you I don't feel any differently. I know, but so like, why go? Why go to the guy? Well, it becomes habitual. Oh, oh, right. And he's uh, he's a good guy. Yeah. I like him. He's very smart. So you've been going there a long time. But I have a regular doctor, too. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just go to the the, uh, the hippie doctor. Well, he's not a hippie doctor, I but know, he know. could be construed as that. I know. I, I know. I'm being condescending. I know. I think, it's all right. We're, I think it's, I think it's you're good. You're misguided. I know I'm misguided. I stopped taking turmeric because <laughs> cause I was told it does nothing. By several nutritionists. I'm sure you can't even get it to absorb into your body. That's right. That's what the problem is. But we, we people just I do it. I don't take turmeric. Uh, it's the one thing, apparently. Although I've got quite a big stash of it that when I ordered a big supply. <laughs> you did buy it once? Oh, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and why, it's In so, a liquid form. Oh, that must be better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you don't probably. Take, you don't take it anymore. 
No, I've uh, got too much to take. Okay, all right. So I was watching, I, I never know, like I, I don't know what to, sometimes I don't know where to start. So I actually watched most of Nashville last night. You did? Yeah, I haven't seen it in years. And it's so good. It's so good. And then I watched an old Carson from the se- uh, 70s, I think. An old Johnny Carson appearance. Of me, of me of being you. on the show? Yeah. And like both of those <clears throat> things made me realize just how time worked differently. That we all had much more time. And things just kind of spread out and had a natural pace to them. And, and it was just human. Like, hmm. you know, you were on Carson for, I mean, the segment was like a half hour. No. No, but you know, I mean, you, people what sat What did there. I do? Did I say anything? You were talking, yes. It was the, It was an appearance where you were talking about uh, um, your, your childhood and starting. It was a story about, you're talking about growing up in the basement apartment and the neighbor who lived upstairs who used to come down for dinner. Oh, yes. <laughs> you remember? Mrs. Spear. Yeah, Mrs. Spear. Because he was asking you about, uh, you know, how you started to be a performer, and he assumed it was when you got a first laugh, but it was actually more connected to, uh, you know, uh, your father. Yeah. And that because you told Mrs. Sphere what your father was thinking. Do yeah. you remember that story? Oh yes, I do very well. I, I remember standing at the foot of the stairs and giving Miss Spear, Mrs. Spear, a piece of my father's mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the that was the whole issue that she was annoying your dad. And of course, my dad. My mother would just be horrified, and and she immediately called Mrs. Spear in to supper the next night and every night after that and treated her like the finest guest in the world. And my father was tickled to death when I did it. You yeah. know? So I, I, I got that sense of being a little outrageous and audacious as being oh, it, yeah. funny, the winning side of something. Right. It made an impact with, yeah. with the old man anyway. Right. With the old man. It sure did. It's <laughs> <laughs> so... This was in Detroit? Yeah. What, you were born there? Yes. Wow. So I, but my parents are from Kentucky. From They're southern. Oh, and they, 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 uh, they evacuated? They went they, north to work. Yeah? Well, it got bad down there in the south? They just were... Well, my dad was the kind of guy, he just wasn't going to be a farmer. Right. So he went to Detroit for, uh, to the big city. To play the horses and... Oh, he's a <laughs> gambling he, man. Yeah, yeah. But he worked very religiously. He was a hard worker. What, did he do him what? He was a job setter at a factory. A job setter? Yeah. I don't know what that means. That means somebody who can, uh, he, he can't really read plans, but yeah. he can put a machine together to produce whatever the part is that they need. Oh, okay. So, so it's kind of, of an intuitive yeah. gift that he had. Yeah, he could, uh, like, could he break down an engine and that kind of business? I don't know. Oh. And what'd your mom do? She was a nurse's aide. Oh, working with sick people. With the babies. She worked always with the babies. Oh, yeah? She loved that. And do you have brothers and sisters? My brother. Is he my still brother's around? A, he, yeah, he lives in Nashville. He's a painter. Really? He's a painter, and he builds furniture, and he's, yeah. he's just artistic. Abstract? Realistic? Uh, sort of whimsical. Oh, yeah? And he still and he, and he, and he, uh, he sells his paintings? Yes. He said to me the other day, in four years, yeah. I'll be 80. Yeah. He can't believe. I can't believe it either. I think he's maybe sixteen. Oh, really? He's just got the personality of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he. I just can't believe it. My precious brother. It's going to be eighty. Yeah, and I'm already eighty. I said, well, I've, I'm already eighty. So. Do you feel different? No, I feel nothing different. Yeah, my mother's the same way. She's like, I don't understand. I don't feel any different inside. 
I guess it doesn't. Yeah, I, I thought maybe it would have something to do with kids or whatever, but no. I guess you don't really change inside, huh? I guess not. How but many kids did she have? Just me and my brother. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't. I don't think she really locked into that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think she notices now. Oh, my mother was a real homemaker. She loved to. She when she was lying in bed when yeah. she had osteoporosis very badly at the end of her life. Yeah. She said, "Oh, I just I'm lying here just thinking about because her father had been a prosperous farmer in Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she said, and her and he had wanted his last two girls to go to college. Right. And my mother was one of them. Yeah. And she said, "I'd give anything to be a home ec teacher." Oh, really. That's what she wanted? Those were her, her so, dying wishes? Yeah, so dear. Oh. Nothing pleased my mother more than a new canister set. <laughs> Did she cook and stuff? Oh, yeah. Cakes? Yeah, everything. Oh. She made. She uh, had a very special gumdrop cake. Oh, really? With that, was it gumdrops all gum around drops the top? Gumdrops inside and on oh. top. Oh. Was it good? Or? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> So were you always in the basement apartment growing up? No, we moved up to the second floor when I was about 10 or 12. Same building? Yes. Oh, that's nice. You literally moved up in the world. We yeah. did. We yeah. did, indeed. And when you were growing up, was were you into watching the- theater or comics or anything like that? Well, I didn't know. I didn't have the experience of theater. Yeah. My family. I went to the movies a lot. Yeah. Um. But I, I worked I, I I took ballet and tap at the Department of Parks and Recreation across the street yeah. from our par- apartment house. Yeah. Because that we we lived in a sort of uh, wild neighborhood. Oh yeah. Nothing terribly bad and certainly nothing compared to today. Right. Um but um just a lot going on in the streets. Yeah, a lot of going on and it was rough. Yeah. You know, you could but I you don't realize how rough it is until when you're a you kid. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I took ballet and tap over there because they had a lot of programs to keep kids off the streets. Right. Yeah. And I was over there for about ten years, from five to fifteen, doing dancing, dancing and doing comedy. And I mean, I would do, I would make up characters to do. We'd oh, have yeah. a, a you know a variety show every sure. Friday. Oh, every Friday. Yeah, in the summer. Yeah. Not in the winter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you didn't have to trek through the snow. But so you were doing characters at what, like age 10, 12, 13? Yeah, easily. You brought up on Carson in that, in whenever that was in the 70s, about a, a woman who lived in the building that was older than you, but like you were friends with her. Like, uh, it, it, she was well, there of, were a couple of those, but because I was the kind of kid who just had an, uh, an adult way about me. Right. And so I, Betty, Betty Paterka and mm-hmm. and uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, um, Jimmy Lafont. Yeah, they were like about twenty five, and I was ten. Yeah, but and they were like the glamour, you right, know, exciting sure. girls. Like Betty's boyfriend slept over. Yeah, ooh. and that was really hot stuff. <laughs> and Betty and J- and Jimmy was married. Yeah, uh, and she and her husband every time they would have sex, they put a bean in the jar. And uh, then it took them three years to get the beans out. <laughs> what? In one year, they put so many beans in the jar. And then after that first year, they took three years to get the beans out. Oh, my but God. But they would tell me stuff like that. When you were 10. Yeah, and that was interesting to me. You need those people to sort of open your brain up. Yeah. To, to the, the bigger world out And there. Jimmy was very well-spoken. Yeah. And, and Betty was very flamboyant and <laughs> ba-ba-ba. Yeah, know, yeah. She had a real big figure. And uh, she was hot stuff. And this I was like her. the 50s? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, 
the very beginning of the 50s because I was born in 39. So right. I was 10 by the time I was in 1940. So, no, I mean 1950. Now, when you when you think about it, like, you know, seeing how everything's changed over, you know, like the arc of like what happened culturally, it's got to be mind blowing. And do you do you because I was trying to think when I talked to people, I try to figure it out. I can't figure it out in terms of what, which part, everything. What does what what how does it make sense? How yeah. does it not look at today with this whole thing? It's horrendous. And, and around. Yeah. You just you think and then you've got someone like Trump in the White House. Yeah. You just can't put it all together it's it's and even with so much more information it even makes it more confusing but i mean you live through nixon you live through like you know i i would imagine that in terms of you know you know just uh fear in the streets the the 60s was horrendous maybe we know so much more now maybe that's it maybe we're acculturated uh so that uh you know true i mean trump uh, nixon the bombing in yeah. cambodia and everything yeah. else that went on and uh you think you think Trump is ten times worse than Nixon, but in a way, it's sort of like it's only because we kind of know more. Yeah, how's it happening again? And yeah. you know, and 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 now we're so much more distracted. But I, I just, I, it's dealing with fear is the hardest thing for me. The fear part. Uh, more for, for more for it's more anxiousness for me. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, because you do feel ultimately powerless when things. When thing, I mean, usually things are going on that we don't know about. But you know, when you really start to think about it, you're like, I can't do anything. What can you know? What can I do? And what can and you especially do? with the climate. I, oh my god! There's no no recourse. Nothing. Nothing. You know, I, I, I don't, Australia matter. is is on fire. Yeah, and <laughs> I have friends in Australia, and they said it's just grim. Really? Yeah. Wait, uh, in like in Sydney or where are uh, they? Well, no, they're they're in. Um, you know Canberra right now, uh-huh. but they used to live in Bermagui, which yeah. was just idyllic. And it's gone. I, I went up. It's it's all evacuated. It very wow. well could burn. I have no sense of what's happening there. The scale of it, but it seems pretty fucking awful. Yeah, it's like ten times worse than what we've seen in California fires. Yeah, ten times bigger. Ten, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's for it to suddenly strike Australia. I, I, I saw on the beach, I yeah. always thought Australia was far away and the last okay. to go. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, nothing's going to happen in Australia. Yeah. To say, well, it's terrible. But I mean, like, I guess your parents probably lived through the Depression and had that mentality, and like, I guess things changed. But the climate does seem like the last frontier. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it is. It, it as far really as I is. can figure it out. But going back, before we get into a, fall into a hole of despair... Yeah, the despair is part of the anxious. It is. It is. Except I, but in a certain kind of way, I, I, um, I take it in yeah. in the morning. I get up and I'm seeing what's yeah. happening, and then we kind of go about our day. I mean, you're doing your show. What else can you do? I came here. Yeah. Um, I said that on stage last night when I it was like this could be the eve of World War Three, and you know there's all this stuff going on, but we have to get up and live our lives. Yeah, which is just that sort of gnawing anxiousness when everybody has it. It will allay that fear, that yeah. anxiousness for a while. I mean, you get absorbed in what you're doing. You maybe you love what you're doing, and sure. But when you were uh, in like growing up, and when did you start to? Um, because I, I do stand-up. Did you do stand-up first? No, and I'm not really a classic stand-up. No, you know, I know. I've always yeah. done characters. Right. And uh, and I talk in between or something, and there's a certain amount of stand-up, but not like... Joke, not joke. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hard-hitting stand-up. 
But you were always aware of that, that you like you, you categorize yourself as not a, a traditional stand-up? Yeah. Um, yeah, because why? Because I did characters. Right. And um, But you, were, you, sh- you shared the stage with stand-ups at different times, right? I mean, you'd go on at clubs, right? No, I didn't go on at too many clubs. Never? Oh, yeah. No, I, I did, but I didn't really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because right. um, you didn't come up. In I the needed time to establish my character, <laughs> or I would, if I was going to do a monologue, right. I'd have to have five or six or eight or ten minutes to right. do the monologue. Yeah. Every, not every audience is going to sit around for that. That's true. <laughs> they want boom, boom, boom. <laughs> well, I don't know. Again, like you know, watching Carson and also watching Nashville and and sort of the pace of things then was a little different. It seems like people were a little more patient. Am I am I projecting? <laughs> well, they might be patient. I don't know. It depends on who the person is. I mean, if they know you, they might be a little more patient. Right. But if you're just starting out and they don't know you, they're not, not going to be ho- ho- totally pa- unless you're to- totally mesmerizing. Sure. Or well, you're pretty You're mesmerizing. doing something so. <laughs> Why I've never seen the likes of this. <laughs> Weren't you that? <laughs> I was kind of that yeah. in a way, yeah. but I wasn't the first to do characters. Sure, I was greatly influenced by Ruth Draper. Yeah, I don't know who that who is. Was, uh, who died in '56, and she was in her 70s. And um, I, I came to I, I discovered her when I was about 18 in Detroit on on the Written Word, uh, you know, whatever that album is called. Uh huh. I think Ruth it, Draper is her name. Yeah, and she—I don't know oh, she her. Was, yeah, that's all right. I can understand that. It's crazy. I feel like uh, I feel stupid. No, I, she. I, most people wouldn't know her. And she, she had a, a record though. She had an album. She was on? recorded, yes, yeah. because uh, the guy who reported who recorded her, Charles Bowden, he became a good friend of mine because when he first saw my first Broadway show, he wrote me a letter and he said, "You make me think of Ruth Draper." And, and she, of course, that was the, the most heady thing he could have said to me, which was totally. Far fetched, but um, who was she? How, who, how, how did you come? Well, to she know was her? from Boston. She was uh, from a fairly well-to-do family. Her father, her brother, was Paul Draper, the dancer who uh-huh. was blacklisted. Uh, and she was a comedic performer. Well, not totally comedic, right. but very funny. Yeah, she would do characters. Yeah, characters, and, and she a... would do Broadway shows. Oh, okay. she would appear on Broadway every few years, uh-huh. and uh, she toured the world. And she'd she was, get up in a place in Scotland and stand on the table and do her monologues. Wow. And this was your first big influence, this woman. Yeah. And the, and you aspired to it. I had other influences. Yeah. You know, I, I was very eclectic. Kid, like who else? When you were before you started. Yeah, when I was a kid and we first got it we didn't get a TV till I was ten. Uh huh. And then my father got an old month's TV and they never sent him the payment book. <laughs> and he just gloated on that for years. Oh, your free TV? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I saw other neighbors' TVs occasionally, you know, and yeah. stuff. But I listened to the radio a lot. I loved Beulah, yeah, the uh, the uh, maid, yeah, and she was always muttering some mutiny under her breath. You right. know, yeah, she'd yeah. be saying like, uh, maybe her her white employers would call her upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs, right. and she trudging up the stairs and out of breath and tired, <laughs> and, and and then they say, uh, Beulah, I need you up here at once. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, I'll be right along, you know. No, 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 Beulah, I need you downstairs at once. I need to see you immediately. I like to take their supper and give it to the dog. <laughs> What's that you said, Beulah? I, I said the fire's getting low. I better fetch a log. <laughs> so, and I Subversive. would just crack up at that. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was totally divine. Yeah. So that Okay, so that was on the radio. So you, had, you liked people that did, you know, funny characters and had a little edge yeah, and to I had, them. Yeah, and I had... Uh, but I empathized with them, you yeah, know. I yeah, just sure. 
I totally got them. Yeah. And when did you first put your start putting your stuff to paper? Well, I uh, I did the first the first character I did was in a show in college. Mm. I mean uh, that I did like for a real audience, right? And it was uh, a scholarship show to make raise scholarship money, and uh, long mm. to do about getting there and everything. Wh- but wh- what to college <clears throat> or to? <laughs> 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 That's about true. Uh, you know, getting getting in this show. Yeah, and right. they, they they I had done a show on the big stage where I played a walk on in the Mad Woman of Shio at the school. Yeah, for yeah. the university, yeah. and. I had had to lead a pr- improvisation of the the capitalist women yeah. down the staircase being cast into the the mad woman's cellar, uh-huh. and so and I would just carry on every night, you know. Yeah. And just, all the kids who were drama majors, they would they would just all run out to the stage to see what I was going to do. You're just improvising. Yeah, yeah, and I thought, geez, this is so much fun. Uh-huh. And uh, I was Gorin, who lived in Detroit. I I I've tried to. I've tried to reach her a hundred times because I was. She sort of looked like Barbara Streisand at the time, and she would look at me so intently, and she'd say, "Do you realize what kind of concentration you have?" <laughs> <laughs> she was a teacher. No, I no, no. She was a student, oh, but she the, was a drama major. Okay. And oh, I had she, no idea. She was impressed with you. Very impressed with yeah, my yeah. concentration, right. at least. <laughs> yeah. So that was your that that's how oh, you. So, yeah. So I did that, but then I got into this scholarship show where it was uh, funny, where they were doing funny stuff, sketches, right, yeah. and and so I had like bo- I I bombed out on everything because it was just <laughs> terrible mean, material. As a student or what? what no, as a as a player in the. Uh, I, they gave me all the female parts, and right. then surreptitiously they took them away one Why? by one because I couldn't sell it. Oh, I mean, I, who's going to say like play Miss Kitty and say, you know, poor they pour Matt whatever his name is a cup of coffee and, right. and real beans fall out. Right. Okay. And they say good to the last bean. Yeah. I, You're not going to do it. It, did, it just didn't make sense couldn't to me. Couldn't sell it. <laughs> <No>. I couldn't sell it. <laughs> and so gradually, I had no. I had only two parts left, and and uh, were you studying? I only had one dr- part were you left. Studying drama? No, no, I was studying. Med, I was in pre med. Oh God, huh. that was another fantasy. Yeah. Uh, How'd that go? Well, I didn't finish, so it didn't go anyway. Yeah, didn't, yeah. There was no 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 decision on the. You didn't finish college. No, okay. I didn't finish. I uh, got in and got into this show. Yeah, and I was had been humiliated, 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 <laughs> and I had yeah. one last thing to do. Yeah, and it was a takeoff in the Academy Awards, and yeah. I pretended I was ad libbing. Right, like trying to read yeah. cue cards. Right, and I would just say things like academy. Yeah, right. And you know, here at the academia, and just right, right, and that was getting big laughs, and, yeah. And so then I was kind of buoyed and renewed, yeah. And so then the uh, it takes a you have to insert another story here yeah, to explain ahead. how low I had gone. Okay, uh, there was a girl in the show. Uh, which one? The which show? In this this the review. The review. Yeah. And she was like five ten, and she had blonde hair, and she hung over one eye, and yeah. she wore French cut electric blue tights. You know, mm. with your cheek, your buttock cheeks are showing through the tights, yeah. but the leotard is cut way up. It's like a like wearing a you know what's those those underpants called thongs. Yeah, yeah. 
Kind of like that. Yeah. You have high heels on a lot of jewelry. Right. She and was, uh, she, she was, she was like, something. Yes. And yeah. she was leaning against the piano with her long legs stretched yeah. out. She became a good friend of mine later. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not using her name. Right. Uh, and so she, and I was mumbling my my Academy Award speech yeah. over on the side like real pitiful. Yeah. And she swung around like that and her hair just ripple, ripple, ripple. Yeah. And a Clairol ad. And she, and she said, what did you say? She hadn't said a word to me in weeks. Right. And I said, I'm, I was just staggered to yeah. my depths. And she said, well, if you can't be direct, why be? <laughs> and that was the last <laughs> thing that I needed. And I went out, that's when I went out there and ad-libbed that piece. So these are just, I like these passing bits of... But of, wait a minute, I, the character I yeah. did, I did the old tasteful lady that I did on Laughing eventually. Yeah. And I'd never really done her as a character. It's just that... I my mother's maiden name was Ford. Yeah. And so we used, she used to read all about the Fords in the society page. Yeah. And Charlotte Ford was my age and she was making her debut party at that time and it was reputed to cost uh, five hundred thousand dollars or right. something. And my I had borrowed a car and taken my mother on a tour around the Gross Point estate so she could see the twinkle lights and the canopies yeah. and 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 the, and the car was tied on the the driver's side with a rope. The door was tied shut. This is a family car. No, I borrowed it no, from a friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I this all this stuff intertwines because my life has been preordained. Right. Okay. <laughs> and so when years later, when uh, Kathy King, who was a cheerleader, I gotten her on the cheer team at Cast Tech. Yeah. Which was my high school, and. Uh, so she had, and she was married to Henry Ford. He, she was his third wife. Really? Yeah. And so she had all the old cheerleaders over at their big house, you know. Mm -hmm. And she called my mom on the phone, and she said, "Mrs. Tomlin, you can come in the front door now." <laughs> so that was it was a lovely moment. Yeah. Okay, so that's still not the story. Yeah. The story is, I did a Gross Point matron. Yeah. Okay. And in, as the character. As the character, yeah. and I talked about. My my charitable activities and mm -hmm. my social work, my social activities and mm -hmm. all that stuff, and uh, then I get up and I bid the audience a very tasteful and and we knew that Gross Point had been designated a, a segregated unlawfully a segregated community. Yeah. So that's what it played on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I could just ad lib around that, you know, right, and do yeah. the character. And I had a young guy that I was friendly with. He interviewed me like he had a show called Distinguished Guest. Uh huh. And then when I got up, I have a my my dress. I didn't flash or anything. My yeah. dress was of a decorous length, but I, you know, like a woman, fifty years old, yeah. middle age, she might get up and push herself up off her thighs. You yeah. know, put her palms down near her knees and yeah. push herself up right. in a very this was high <laughs> hilarity in 1962 <laughs> yeah but but you killed you did great I killed him yeah. because it was the only thing that was relevant that was in the show right and it was actually so I, then I went on all the TV shows and did it Oh, that that character. Yeah, she became the tasteful lady. Yeah, yeah. When did this take place? Before you did the where? Where was this show? The one you just told me. Sixty two. It was at where? Wayne State University. Oh, okay, okay. And then after that, you quit. You quit school. Yeah, I went. To, as soon as we finished midterms, I went to New York. Yeah. I thought, well, geez, I'm going to become uh, an actress or something. Yeah. What's well, so funny to me that these two passing people that you knew, the one that looked like Barbara Streisand, who said, what did she say you, you, about your focus? Do you know what kind of concentration you have? There's that one, and then the, the one who said, if you can't be direct. Direct YB. Yeah. 
Those were pretty important. They were very important. It's weird how just what and then I people, she went to New York and we you know we were friends for many years. She was but, an actress. Yeah, tr- she was. That was her desire. Uh huh. And didn't it didn't come to pass? Not so much. Mm. So when you got to New York, what what was what was the what'd you do? Well, I I liked you know I liked a kind of a bohemian life. Yeah. I didn't mind it at all. Those girls were kind of disappointed if they were like living on the Lower East Side <laughs> or something. You know, Is I liked the started? color of it. Did you start in the Lower East Side? Yeah. Well, I I started on Fifth. Well, I started on Second Avenue over the B and H Dairy. Yeah. Do you know that the Second Avenue and like Seventh uh, Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I went, I went in there. B and H Dairy Restaurant. What? The restaurant? Yeah, B and H Dairy was still, still there. there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. And uh, so I had a girlfriend. She wasn't really a girlfriend. She was kind of an acquaintance, but yeah. I knew she lived in New York now. Right. So I had called her when I went, and I had total Holly Go Lightly damage. Yeah. I used to wear my hair pull. You know, I didn't have big abundant hair. Right. But what I had, I would pull up and I'd put it in a, and then I would spread it out. Yeah. Like a ponytail on top of my head. Yeah. Then I'd spread the ponytail out and pin it down with hairpins. Right. So I had a nice Nefertiti profile. <laughs> it sounds like it took some time to put that together. Well, I've seen photographs and you wouldn't have guessed I spent a lot of time. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. I got a white, a cream colored. Uh, uh, trench coat at yeah. the thrift shop, yeah, and a couple of items like that for my. And I got a nineteen dollar one way trip on Continental Airlines. He flew, yeah, nineteen bucks, Detroit this to New York, Detroit to New York, yeah, nineteen dollars, right, on a prop plane, non scheduled Continental prop, yeah, that's exciting. And later I got had, became friends with Audrey Meadows, who was married to Bob Six, who was president of. Continental. It just oh, Audrey Meadows from the Honeymooners. Yeah, yeah, she was funny. Oh, she was. She was on one of my specials. Yeah, but like, what? How did you get started doing what you wanted to do? And well, York? I first I got there. I got yeah, I, I got had fifteen dollars left <laughs> yeah, in my pie. I right. borrowed five dollars from nine friends. Yeah. Forty five dollars. I bought the trench coat. Yeah, yeah right. And uh, extra <laughs> hairpins hair for my. <laughs> <laughs> get the hair up there. And uh, and so I had $15 left, yeah. and I was going to get a job as a waitress at the Figaro. Okay. Which was like about as cool as you right. could possibly a coffee be. shop, right? Yeah, over yeah, in the village, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. West Village. Yes. So I went, and of course the guy had a list of girls this long sure, that wanted yeah. to be waitresses yeah. at the Figaro. And all I had was a, a burlap skirt. I had one little checkered suit. Yeah. Uh, with a bolero jacket, kind of, you know, and yeah. I had one pair of high heels. Yeah. Because when when the Figaro thing fell through, and I knew that that night, and I spent the fifteen dollars on dinner, I went back home. I bought a New York a New York Times on Saturday night late. Yeah. yeah. And I looked in the newspaper and wrote down all the typist jobs, yeah. Bo- yeah. Uh, assistant bookkeeping jobs. Yeah. Let me think. Typist jobs were terrible, like forty five dollars a week. Yeah. But assistant bookkeepers were like 85. Could you type? Oh, yeah, I could type. I took typing. Like any good girl, I took typing at my age. Yeah. But I had also worked as an assistant bookkeeper in Detroit. Right. So you got. And I could post a ledger. Right. So that's a a, a needed skill. (laughs) And And that's the gig you got? So I I stopped at all the places and they were horrible, like button factories and all that stuff. Finally, I get to fifth up. up, up in the 50s yeah. mid on 5th Avenue yeah. and I go to BMI um, 
music management. Publishing? Oh, the management company? Yes. I had no idea when I took the phone number out of the paper. And it says Captain Kangaroo, Dick Clark Productions, right. and all like that. Yeah. So I, and I got that job just like that. So you're the, in. I'm in. I'm, and I'm in show business. You're in show business. I didn't even know, but I was really kind of the office flunky. Yeah. There were three other women in the office. Gloria was the head bookkeeper, and I had to assist her. Uh, and if you're assisting someone, you don't yeah. have to know too much. And what year is this? 60. 62. Wow. It's getting to be like almost summer of 62. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're, but did, how long did it take you to realize that you're in this like center of show business? I saw it as soon as I saw the door. I yeah. knew, I knew. Did I, you see Captain Kangaroo around? Didn't say Captain Kangaroo. It said Charles Keishan. Um. I didn't realize that was Captain Kangaroo, <laughs> but I could understand Dick Clark. Yeah, yeah. That's big. And it, but they also handled all the newscasters. Yeah. I mean, 90% of the top newscasters. So, uh, and I used to write all the alimony checks. Oh, really? Yeah, and so you had to get them out on Friday night. Wow. Anyway, <clears throat> sometimes I failed to do it. That I'd forget. I'd, take, I'd be so glad to get rid of the place because Rita and Florence, who were their secretaries, yeah. they were so great. Yeah. And I've met, I've seen Florence since, yeah. and she's come to my show a couple of times. Wow. But like, I would pour a. They had a, a you know a cooler, yeah, and someone would dump soup in the in the receptacle there, yeah. and I didn't do it. I wouldn't dare there's, do so it. So there's no drain. And here, read it. She'd say, "Come here." I couldn't understand them. They were from the Bronx. Yeah, I said, "What?" She said, "Look at this. Who did this?" <laughs> you must have done this. <laughs> no, I didn't do that, Rita. <laughs> Clean it up. <laughs> then I'd go. I'd have to go and get things for them. Uh, for their different things like creams, change a brassiere, do this on my lunch hour. And there was nothing worse than walking around in New York City in the summer of 62. Yeah, yeah too the, hot. The, no, Humidity. the hot, oh, forget that. Yeah. But the, the construction workers, it's like uh, they're wagging their tongues at you. Yeah. Oh, and just on and on. It was just unbearable. When did somebody notice you performing? When did you start to get to do the performing? Well, um, in New York. My friend Louis, yeah. Louis St. Louis, who had several credits, he was a musical director and he wrote songs and yeah. he performed himself. But he and his partner were going to perform at the Bitter End, right? And he got me on the bill, yeah, as a you know to do. So I kind of threw stuff together that I had. This was the first show at the <clears throat> Bitter End. Yeah, bits and pieces, characters, yeah, bits and pieces. How many of those characters stayed with you for a lifetime? Well, one of them for sure, the world's oldest living beauty expert. <laughs> <laughs> She's really, it yeah. kills me. Where'd you do her? Did you do her on? I've just done her in my act. I've never done her on television. Well, oh, really? I have done her on television. Yeah. As a guest on something, sure, I might sure. have done it. Right, right. Oh, I went, to, I went to mime school first. You did? Yeah, because being an actress was like, you know, in, uh, in downtown it was considered too narcissistic. Uh-huh. And men were the only creators anyway. You know, the women rolled the joints, had babies. Yeah. I didn't yeah, it wasn't your see bag. that cut out for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, but I was sort of afraid to stand up and say, I'm an actor. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to study mime. Uh-huh. That's more acceptable. Where'd you study mime? <laughs> At, with um, William Curtis, the American Mime Theater. Uh-huh. I lasted three weeks. <laughs> it was just too arduous <laughs> for so little reward. 
<laughs> they, you just couldn't get anything out of them, you know, because then the other kids were so gifted. Yeah, with they mime. Could, yeah, they yeah. could tumble across the room and yeah. do the most incredible falls and spills and yeah. and come up and do it. Yeah, <laughs> not your bag. No. no. Although I'm good physically. I mean, I did used to be you, good. Did it help you, think? What? The, mime, the three weeks of mime school, did it help you at all? Well, I was kind of a natural mime anyway, yeah. you know. Sure. Yeah, you know how to I do I had gotten in a mime show. Mm. No, see, I don't remember what year that was. Maybe mm. that was 65. Yeah. You were in a mime show? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at the Astor Place Playhouse. When did the break happen? Well, the real break didn't happen until I went on the Merv Griffin show. From New York? Yeah. So yeah. I was at the upstairs and the downstairs in 66. Where's that at? Uh, that was on fifty, like fifty fifth, and, uh-huh. and on the side street off of Fifth Avenue. It's a club. Yeah, yeah. They they had a review upstairs yeah. in the big room. They had a little cabaret review, and then Mabel Mercer was in the downstairs room. Yeah, and I was just mad for Mabel Mercer. Lewis and I had we used to walk up to the Bonsoir. We'd have just a quarter for the coat check because you yeah. could stand six deep at the bar and never even have to buy a drink. Yeah. Because we adored Mabel. Yeah. Okay, so Mabel was falling out of favor, not doing as big a business. Jo- Joan had become very popular. Joan from Carson. Yeah. yeah. And she took over that room in the mm. downstairs. Yeah. And Mabel was just there on Mondays, Tuesdays, or Wednesdays or something. Uh-huh. And I, so I said to Irv Haber, I was in the re- review upstairs and I'd gotten a... Um, I'd gotten a review from Vince Canby yeah. in the New York Times. He was That's a nightclub yeah. critic then. then. Before film? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And I did the makeup lady. That was my main monologue in that show. Uh-huh. The the character I did, and it stood out because yeah. it was different from the, than the uh, review the, kind the of. The beauty tip person? The yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, he said, it's as if Beatrice Lilly and Dracula's daughter have come into some kind of lunar <laughs> conjunction. And, uh, and that puts you on the map. That was eye-catching. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so it didn't put me on the map so much. I yeah. guess it did in one way or another. But you saw, but, So you saw Joan there downstairs early on doing her thing? Oh, yeah. She was already famous, though, for me. Yeah. And Were you guys knew, friends? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I used to stand in the stairwell and listen to her. She was so funny, outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Even then, from the oh, beginning. Yeah. Oh, yes. So when did you do Merv Griffin? So, um, oh, so I took that review around. Yeah. I took it to a uh, an agent called Gloria Sapphire, mm-hmm. who was uh, sort of friendly with some people I kind of peripherally knew. Yeah. And uh, she sent me over to Griffin. Yeah. She said, uh, she sent me to the Paul Simon. I can't think of his name now. I know he's around, or he would be around. Yeah. Paul is his first name. But he was the first one that really locked into me and put me on the show. On Merv. Yeah. I went and Merv to- was in New York at that time. Yes. Yeah. All of the daytime people were. Was Mike and Douglas there too? Mike Douglas. I did him later when he I was He was in well Philadelphia, known. right? Yeah, Philadelphia, right. Uh-huh. So you do Merv. I do Merv. I started doing Merv kind of, re- you know, sort of maybe one, once every month or every two oh, months. Oh, yeah. And That's I would buy the deal. kinescope. Yeah. Uh, but uh, first of all, first I did the world's oldest living beauty yeah. expert on Merv's show. And yeah. and Hermione Gingold was the uh, the guest, the other guest on yeah. the show. And so I was a little nervous about doing Lupe, <laughs> Madame Lupe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did it go over well? Oh, yeah. It went over very well. <laughs> because what happens is she rejuvenates her face, and then she sneezes, and it all falls down again. <laughs> <laughs> then I then I went back to the uh, 
I, I said upstairs I would go back to the upstairs yeah. if I could do one of my own monologues right. in the show. Yeah. That's kind of a big In the review, yeah. Yeah, so I I went back in 68. Yeah. I did a commercial, too, so I made money on a Vicks VapoReb commercial. Nice. With, and, the, with the little waves coming up? Is that the ones where you rub it and then like you... you well, I, I don't think they'd quite hit, hit yeah. on those graphics yet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> those animated graphics. Yeah. It was more like a, I would be like a housewife, you know, doing the dishes, and I'd hear my husband sneeze in the living room, yeah. and I'd run and get the Vicks VapoRub and right. rip his shirt off and yeah. put it on yeah, his yeah, chest. Yeah. Thank God. So I got to California yeah. because a woman, her son, her husband yeah. was in the review, yeah. and uh, she was going to populate a show on ABC called Music Scene, and she picked me to go along with, David Steinberg was her client. Uh-huh. I didn't want to go to California. I wanted to be a New York actor. Right. I didn't want to be on television. Mm. I just wanted to, I didn't what? want a manager. You just want to do what, cabaret shows? No, I thought I would get, I did audition for some Broadway shows, yeah. and I must have been unbelievably off the wall. I don't know what I did. Yeah, yeah. Because the kid, I'd make friends with the agent's assistant, and he'd say, what did you do at that interview, at that audition? (laughs) I'd say, what do you mean, what did I do? Right. And he'd just, and I'd be real defensive about it, and then I'd say, and I would like get off a couple of, you know, so you saw curse, yourself, word, curse words. Yeah. So you saw you wanted to be a stage actress. Yeah. yeah. I thought I should be. I could yeah. go to the clubs and always do little monologues yeah, and yeah. stuff. But you wanted to do bigger For things. the fun of it. I yeah. wanted to be a serious yeah. actor. Right. But you get dragged out to L.A. So I go to California and- uh, For the, for the to people- To the, be on yeah. music scene. Music scene, man. Yeah, 68. And I picked you, and at the same time, an offer came in to go on Laugh-In. From George. From George. Yeah. Uh, How did he see you? The beginning of the, he said that he saw me in 66 when I was on the Gary Moore show. That's where Carol Burnett was discovered. Oh, wow. So I'm sure he looked at me a few years later and thought, ah, here's my Carol. Oh, yeah. So he probably did see you on that. Well, I didn't go on Laugh-In until mid-season because I thought, well, Laugh-In's everyone's a star who's going to be on Laugh-In. Yeah. And Music Scene was like a hip new show. It was like had a tie-in with Billboard. Yeah, well, what was it? What did you do on that? We were like a little comedy. David Steinberg was the lead, and there were two or three other, and we were like a little comedy troupe. Interstitial bits. Yeah, and and, and intro songs and all that stuff. So, but Laugh-In is uh, when, so you go mid-season in Laugh-In 1969? Yes, I I, I appeared on Laugh-In for the first time December 29th, 1969. Did you like Schwatter? Oh, I love him. Yeah. He's, do you guys still talk? Oh, yes. Yeah. It was just his birthday. Was it? How old's he? 90. Wow. How's he holding up? He's doing good. I talked to him a couple years ago. Do you? Yeah, I interviewed him, but I think the he, really the entire interview was him trying to get me to do a new laugh-in with him. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Yeah. He was like, this is it. This is the time. The world needs it right now. And we did do a 50th anniversary. I know. I saw it. It was great. On Netflix. It was great. Yeah. It was fun, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great fun. So did that. So when you did laugh and you moved out here and that was the job, I was already living here, so I I stayed here. Yeah. Okay. And that was the job. That's right. I had my, I had a 69 Firebird back in New York and I had it brought out to California. Oh, don't you wish you still had it? Yeah, we had a Hemi engine. You know, yeah. it was very tough. Yeah. Um, and they used to, they used to, they, they said they every my makeup artist used to say we used to say here comes Tomlin in that bomber. 
or whatever. whatever. Yeah. And I, I, it seems to me that laughing must have been just a, a blast. It was. Like, it just looked... Well, it was just phenomenal because, for me, great. it was because literally... That first night I aired as Ernestine, yeah. it was just a huge, people were stopping me on the streets uh, the next morning. Yeah. Uh, they were, they'd stop their cars when I was back in LA, they would stop their cars at a light and jump out. And do the and, bit. Yeah and, yeah. and just, you know, really excited about that, seeing that character, seeing yeah. me. Yeah. We had so uh, the, uh, there were so many characters on there that like, it must have happened with all the characters. Yeah, I'm thinking. At some point. Like uh, it must have happened with, um, you know, what's her name? The little Ruth. Girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it happened with uh, who else? Artie, the old. And when yeah. you do the oh, yeah. German Very soldier, and then you did the old guy. You know yeah. what I'm here after. You believe in the hereafter, <laughs> then you know what I'm here after. <laughs> yeah, and then you did, and then the the Edith Ann character. Oh, was Edith, huge. I introduced her the next year. Yeah, I went on the road with Dan and Dick when they when we uh, wrapped at the end of the the half season that mid. I mean, from the mid season to the summer. Yeah. And uh, and they would uh, they would introduce me and they would say, the, this girl walked out and sat down at the switchboard. Yeah, and the crowd would just it was just like I was uh, go crazy. Yeah, you were a rock star. I was a rock star for about a minute. Well, no, then you did the record in what seventy one or seventy two. Yeah, seventy one. And that like I, that won a Grammy award and that was must have made a lot of money that record. I guess I didn't see it. No, what the who did the label? No, I don't know. We, I don't remember getting a lot of money from it. Yeah, but I mean, but certainly that you, you sort of. I think that it seems like you redefined what what comedy was at that time. That the characters became because there were plenty of stand-ups around, you know. But no one was doing exactly that. What you were doing with all the different and the characters, characters they would be contentful. They would. Yeah, they would people do. loved them. So when did uh, when did you start working with um, Altman? Um. Well, um, my partner Jane. When did you meet Jane? In seventy one. Oh, so that's a big year. Did the record? You met Jane. I met Jane. Yeah, I met Jane after I was exploiting the record. Yeah, I was touring. How'd you meet her? A, a, a mutual friend. Oh yeah. I came to New York to see a, for a record party and all yeah. that stuff, and yeah. she, and my girlfriend brought her up to my hotel. Yeah. And. Uh, and that was that. She wasn't that excited. She just, she didn't seem to know who I was. <laughs> <laughs> and that just drove you crazy. No, <laughs> no. I said, well, so I put a show on at the bitter end. Yeah. I had a dark night, and I had a couple of days left in town. And I called him up, and I said, I'm gonna. Can I do this? Do a show? Yeah. I was doing anything to get her, to impress her. <laughs> so I did a show. I put a show on, and sure enough, she came. Yeah. And then did I you remember, impress her? I didn't didn't seem like I did. I could. <laughs> I was sure that I would just be like a, a whiz. Yeah, yeah. So you had to really fight for it, huh? I yeah, I did. <laughs> but eventually, she gave in. Yes, she became. <laughs> uh, she came out and helped me work on my Edith Ann album. Oh, okay. So and, she started like producing with you pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because she'd had a. She had written JT, which was in 69. She won a Peabody. I didn't know that the, this was her history at the time. Yeah. Uh, but she was a wonderful writer. Oh, okay. And, but I didn't really know any of that. And JT was a book? Uh, JT became a book, but yeah. it was a teleplay first. Okay. She, was, she wanted to be a songwriter, and mm. she used to go to the Brill Building. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she'd write these long story songs, yeah. which were totally out of fashion. Right. And later they became the thing. You know, oh, like right, yeah. American Pie and all that yeah. stuff. and. 
but she would they'd like be guys be like playing those pianos and singing yeah. those songs right and, and she'd just uh, be hanging out trying to get there i think there was a bar at the bottom of the brill building i don't or something, really i, I or never went to shop. the brill yeah, building i don't know that was a whole scene yeah but so, it was such a tough thing yeah, for her yeah. to break into yeah and so she'd written a long story about a uh, a kid in uh who was like a bag boy or yeah. something and gloria sapphire just by coincidence I didn't. I I didn't know Jane knew Gloria Sapphire. She was her agent. Uh-huh. So she said, "Why don't you turn it into a?" Jane had never written anything in terms yeah. of a script or mm-hmm. anything. She's, "Why don't you turn it into a script?" Yeah. And uh, so she did, and she just has that facility. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was a huge hit. She got a piece. She won a Peabody, and they played it every year for twenty five years at what? Holiday. Oh no, kidding! And uh, so many uh, incredible like. Hilton Owls and uh, John Singleton, the director who's recently died. Yeah, uh, they were so in, they were so influenced by JT as kids. Oh wow! Because it's about a a black kid in Harlem who yeah. befriends a stray cat, and it's so magical and oh wow! And uh, and but you had no idea that she had written that when you met her. No. Oh, so you neither one of you knew how impressive. The <laughs> yeah, other was. the other one was right. <laughs> That's right. And then you had this, uh, you created this amazing partnership that's lasted, what, 50 years? Yep. That's amazing. It's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Not many people pull that off. I know. Now, would, now I, it I seems don't, like a f- short time. It seems like you, I don't. I think you've addressed this a bit, that, but there was a long period of time where you know you just assumed that people knew you guys were together, that there was no real reason to publicize it. It was a different time, and I, did you did get criticism for that at a certain point? Somewhat. I mean, sure, people wanted me to to make an announcement. When was this? When did that start? In the eighties? Mm, oh yeah, easily. Yeah, and you just didn't feel like you you needed to. What was the point? I didn't want to. I yeah. didn't want to. I mean, of course, I had some fear about it. My mother had, my mother had really. My brother's gay, and yeah. when he was uh, revealed as gay, my mother just about had a heart attack. Yeah, and you know she's Christian, and yeah, uh, but she's really a. She was a delightful, wonderful person, great conversationalist, witty. Was she afraid for him, or uh, oh yeah, it, she was... just thought he was going to go to hell, right? And it's so, so complicated. Be, yeah, 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 it's unfortunate. With the hell thing, because like, you know, you hear these stories about disowning, but that doesn't seem to be what happened. She was just terrified for his for his eternal safety. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, man. And so what how did that manifest itself w- with their relationship? Well, they she they she uh, very much loved him and stayed close to him and it, me too. Yeah. And she uh she, she knew you were gay as well? Yeah. Yeah. But later, yeah, later. Oh yeah, did she uh, ever accept it? Yeah, as far yeah. as I could tell. Right, right, right. But you just so you knew that it caused her such grief that it didn't seem like there was a point. I think to she being public about it. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't feel like you know. Just I felt like it would just be a lot for her to bear, especially yeah. with all her relatives. Right, right. And so, um, okay, yeah. So you just didn't. So I didn't announce it, no. And then I, I did in 75. Yeah. Time Magazine offered me the cover yeah. if I would come out. Yeah. And it was just too ambiguous. Come out, yeah. get the cover. It was like some kind of bribe. I didn't like it. 
So you didn't do it? And it wasn't, no, I didn't do it. But you were on the cover, weren't you? I was in 77. I oh. got on the cover for my first Broadway show. Yeah, but you didn't have to do the come out nightly. deal. That was off the table. No, but it, no, it wasn't off the table. Jane was with me all the time. They never wrote about it. Huh. And, Ta- and Newsweek was going to do a cover at the same time. That was when Pat Kingsley, the publicist, was yeah. so, she was so artful. She could, she pulled off a couple of other dual covers. Uh-huh. They don't find out till they've already started the presses running. Right, right. Anyway, it, oh, so, so you news, were both on there. You were both on. No, the I was only on Time. Uh, Newsweek got onto it, and that was for Intelligent Signs for the Time magazine. No, that one? was for Appearing Nightly. Oh, the first seventy-seven. One. Yeah, you were the first woman to have a, a solo Broadway show. Yeah. No, I no? think uh, well, as far yeah. as so really solo yeah. by myself. Right. I mean, other people have had shows. Sure. People, Ruth Draper was sure. alone on Broadway. Oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> Ruth Draper's back. Yeah. Not quite, but yeah. Um, so, okay, so all this stuff is happening, and um, you and Jane are working well together. But but in terms of, like, do you have any regrets about not coming out or no? In some ways I do. I mean, I felt like I could have been... Uh I, I, it could have been very meaningful. For Maybe people. it would. I mean, J, even Ellen paid a terrible price, hmm. but she surpassed it. Sure. But initially, I mean, she was, she she was she suffered quite a bit. Yeah. I, so that so that was also played into the fear of like how how would it affect the career and your appeal? Yeah. Always everybody. Yeah. Everybody's kind of at you about it. That you know that wouldn't. Mm, I I mean I'm enough of a. a I'm enough of a showman that I know that it would have been something audacious yeah, to do. Right. I didn't want to. I kind of didn't want to do it for that reason. I wanted it to be. So what I did at that time when they offered me the cover in '75, and you can get this old album and you can hear it. But yeah. I, I so I put. I was doing a, a modern scream was the name of that album right. I was doing, and I was being interviewed by a fan magazine. I was playing all the characters. Yeah. Um. And so, and I put on the heterosexual interview. Yeah, you know where she says, "What was, what was it like to see yourself making love to a man on the big screen?" And I say, "Well, I've seen these women all my life. Yeah. I know how they walk. I know how they talk." Right. And it just went on like that, you yeah. know. And I thought that's I, this will be my way of coming out. Right. Right. On my own terms. Yeah. And it didn't quite didn't make, mean a hill of beans. <laughs> <laughs> no, too subtle. Was it? I guess. Well, anybody, but it wouldn't be subtle to. Anybody uh, who who was paying attention, or, or who was you. a fan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, well, I guess I, I mean, I, it, it was. I guess it was your assumption that most people knew that needed to know, and that was that. Yeah, many people did know. Sure, and there was never any any secret. I was. We were never secretive. Right, right, right. It wasn't like you were closeted. You were just not announcing it. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you meet? When did Altman? When did you start working with Altman? Uh, I I had optioned a book. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia Buchanan, who yeah. fr- became a friend of mine, she had written a book called Maiden. M a i d e n. Yeah. It's hard to make that word clear. Maiden. Maiden. Yeah. Uh, and I just fell in love with it, and I op- and I optioned the book. Yeah. And Jane wrote a screenplay. Yeah. And. Uh, and then my we, Bob Altman and I had the same agent, mm-hmm. Sam Cat, Sam Cohn. Yeah, oh, he's a big agent. Now. Yeah, yeah, he was a big agent. He was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, he was Merrill's agent. He was. Right. He really loved uh, artists. You yeah, know? yeah. And he was very devoted to Altman. Yeah. And so Altman offered me a part, this part in uh, Nashville, and 
he was gonna he was gonna have Joan Tewksbury direct Maiden. Uh huh. And then he when we were down in Nashville, the guys from Columbia came down because he they wanted him to cut some time out of California Split. Uh huh. Oh really? Yeah. And he punched one of them in the nose and he fell in the pool and. <laughs> Wow! Yeah. So our so so Maiden got canned <laughs> because of that. Yeah. Oh my God! So Nashville's like seventy five, and that was and you got nominated for an Oscar, and it was a very serious role. And and I watched it last night, and it's a really touching, heavy sh- role. Now, like, but that seems like to be as an actress that you you really you know did it. And did you want to do more of that type of acting? Yeah, I wanted to do everything. Yeah, and you ultimately you did, right? But was there a point where you decided to to stick more with comedies or no? No, no, but more comedy came my way. Oh, okay. I so mean, that, they they cast me in more comedies, right? And like what? So the like the next one, the Late Show, that was with what is that? Art Carney, right? Yeah. How was it? What an amazing guy to work with, huh? Yeah, he was such a sweet guy. And you must have remembered watching him on television. Oh, sure, as yeah. Norton, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was something. And that was another beautiful. But he role. so much wanted to be liked by the crew, you know. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. He played yeah. the piano, and he. Oh, really? Oh, and I was like on the outs with the crew. I was like being real abstinent. You were. Why? Yeah, because they were. They were just, they were moving like lightning. Bob yeah. Benton directed that movie yeah. and Altman produced it. Uh-huh. Um, but they were th- just bouncing lights off the ceiling. We yeah. were in a real tiny little house in here in L.A. someplace. Right. And uh, and Art has white hair and a florid skin and I have sallow skin and black hair. Yeah. And I said, well, listen, you guys are going to light me better. This is just not going to work, <laughs> bouncing light off the ceiling. And they'd say, oh, I'd marry you. Oh, boy. That kind of stuff. It was putrid. Yeah. And so I finally, I took a mirror on the set every day and would challenge them to light me. Oh, wow. So they didn't like me too Did, did they do it eventually? Mm, yeah. I mean, and Altman says, the guys tell me you're giving them a hard time. I said, Altman, I'm not going to take responsibility for this. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'd have dailies every day at yeah, his yeah. office. Yeah. And, and so... and. When you did nine to five, that was a huge uh, event for women everywhere. That must have like sort of. Oh re- yeah, nine to five was yeah. was fabulous. And, and like I, that, and I became and Dolly and Jane. We made good friends. And yeah, we've been friends ever since. But that must be one of those things where you know people now looked at you different. Like you had this whole history of doing characters and everything else. But I imagine after that movie in particular, that people saw you in a different light. Like just as like part of that crew, like as sort of a hero to working women in a certain way. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I, yeah. you know, I, I, I never thought of it in those exact terms. Weren't they? Did they do a Broadway show of it? Yeah, we were there at the premiere in New York and here, and it was so surreal because from the audience it looked like us. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Kind of trippy. Yeah, Meg Kilty was like the dolly, you know, and she's built up strong. Yeah. And I mean voluptuous and. They and Allison Janney played me, and it was uh, like kind of she's much taller than I am, but it looked like me, kind of lanky. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And Mr. Hart looked just like Dabney. Wow, it was really, and we we'd be like sort of dumbstruck, and the three of us sitting there, we felt like we were watching ourselves. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, and you and Dolly are still friends, and you. And oh Jenna. yeah. Well, that's so that's so nice. And you did like three movies. Because Jane is from Tennessee. Right. And uh, Dolly said, and Dolly's from Sevierville, and, yeah. J- and Jane's from Morristown, and Dolly would say, 
when she first met Jane, she said, well, we go to Morristown to get our teeth fixed. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So the TV specials, it's funny because I interviewed Lorne Michaels years ago, and he wrote uh, one of his, his first writing jobs was on a show for you, yeah. correct? That was with uh, Pryor, right? Pryor was on the first two. Yeah, like Lily and the Lily Tomlin And that special. was 73. Three and 75. March and March of seventy three and November of seventy three. Okay, yeah, and, that's, and that second one won two Emmys. Right. So with that, now, how did you meet Pryor? Well, I used to see Pryor occasionally at the at the uh, you know the comedy place. store. Yeah, not the comedy store, the other place. The Improv. Yeah, the Improv. Yeah. yeah. So in New York. In New York, right? Okay. And I I first seen him on. On television, on Ed Sullivan doing The Primps and The Primpses. Yeah. Yeah. And I just fell in love with them. <laughs> yeah. I just... Yeah. I was so... I'm getting chills right now, just... And so when I got a special, I wanted him on it above all. Yeah. <clears throat> and I went to him, and I tried to get him to be on the special. Yeah. And so he, we had to, like... We went... Or he didn't... I don't think he, like, kind of got who I was or anything. Yeah. So I... And he he'd been blackballed already from Vegas. Remember all that stuff when he lost it. Yeah, when he got mad. Yeah, yeah and walked off because he didn't want to be uh, the Bill Cosby a flunky. Yeah, uh, Bill Cosby. Yeah. I guess that was it. Yeah. So he uh, and but he'd done Lady Sings the Blues, right. but it was still in the can. Oh, okay. So he uh, so he took me to the neighborhood, uh-huh. and everybody knew who I was from laughing. You oh, know, that's so great. Which neighborhood was this? And down I here, thought, you yeah, know, South Central or yeah, wherever, whatever yeah. it would be. Watts somewhere, yeah. whatever neighborhood he yeah. felt okay yeah. about yeah. getting my endorsement. Okay, yeah, and uh, because they loved like the old tasteful lady, you know, getting hit with wands <laughs> and spreading her legs and all <laughs> yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and of course, they loved Ernestine, I guess. Anyway, so then he asked me to go to a porno movie with him. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, I'll go, but I'll pay my own way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And we did that. And, uh-huh. we just, and anyway, we hit it off. And yeah. he was pretty soon, he was going to be on the show. And was so, he a pretty big star at that point? Uh, comedically, was that his big year? Oh, he was, uh, I don't, I don't 70, think so. Not quite yet. Not qu- shortly after, yeah. sort of. Uh-huh. Because... But I was at his house. We were working on the wino and the tasteful lady who gets stuck in an elevator together. Uh-huh. And he um, and Barry Gordy called him to tell him how good he was in Lady Sings the Blue. He'd uh-huh. just seen a cut, and he yeah. was, and he told him he was going to be nominated. Yeah. And Richard was like that little prince and princess kid. Yeah. He was so excited and c- kind of couldn't believe it. Wow. He was so gratified. Did he get nominated? I don't remember. I can't remember either. Well, he was a great actor. I mean, I just watched that one you did. Was it Opal and Juke? Or yeah, Opal? Juke and Opal. Yeah, That's, Juke and Opal. So Jane had written that for him for the first show. Yeah. And Bob Precht was our our, our partner. Yeah. I mean, they gave him to me, you know. Yeah. And uh, he didn't even send it over. He said, oh, they're not going to let you do that. Yeah. And uh, so I just... So when I they asked me, to, and I had a huge rating off of that show, and it was because of Laugh-In. Uh-huh. So I, they asked me to do another one, and I said, well, I'll do it if I don't have to have a partner. Uh-huh. Like an executive, network executive, yeah. Because they interfere with sure. everything. Sure, And uh, so I, and, and, but, so they said I, sh- I, they wanted somebody that they could talk to. Yeah. So they I went, I interviewed everybody. Yeah. I interviewed Norman. Yeah. I went to everybody that was like a- Norman Lear? Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, finally, I settled on Grant Grant Tinker because uh-huh. he was kind of like more mild man. Or he as, did, your exec- as your executive, as executive yeah. producer, right? Yeah. But even Grant would like pat my hand. He'd say, "You go home now. We'll take care of this." Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just so personal for me, you know. Yeah. I just and I never. I Were never, you able to do what you wanted to do with Grant? Pretty, well, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, that worked well, out. Well, we didn't because Juke and Opal, we didn't get to do that on the first show. In yeah. the second show, I had done a, I had a, a, a piece called War Games because the war in Vietnam was still on. Right. Almost almost going to be off maybe. but And so I had a game where a woman, Mrs. Beasley, goes in the backyard and there's yeah. a war going on in her backyard. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. And so I taped it for the first show. Yeah didn't get on yeah. i mean they just stopped no no it's not going to go on it's not going to go on and all that stuff yeah and so the second show i taped juke and opal and i taped war games to bargain with it okay i'd learned that from george oh yeah that's good so so you knew you'd get one yeah yeah and, and i wanted got, juke and opal yeah it's such a sweet thing it's almost like a little play yeah and that's the one with alda too he comes in yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So which one, which show was that? I don't know which one. What year was it? Well, then that, that was the second show. It must have been the second show. Let's see. No, no, here we go. 73. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. November of 73. Yeah. That was our second show. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And was that the one that had... Uh, Lauren wrote on that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first show he wrote. It was on. Alan Alda, you, and Bill Gerber. Yeah. You've been, you've been in the business a long time. Yeah, 50 years. So what's it like now? Do you love it? Yeah, I do. I mean, we, you know, Jane and I loved, Jane Fonda and I loved doing uh, yeah. Grace and Frankie. And, of course, she's been in D.C. for the last three or four months. Getting arrested. Yeah. Old school Jane. I went last, I went last uh, 27th. Yeah. Because she wasn't going to have too many people because it was right after the holidays. So And, and I couldn't, my, my Jane had taken a fall and hurt her shoulder and yeah. she, I really didn't want to leave her, and uh, yeah. so I wasn't able to go in the beginning. But it was sweet to go and be with Jane. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's serious. She means business. Oh yeah, she she really uh, is connected, you know, to what it is that she believes in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you find and like, always has been? Yeah. Now you've done a lot of exploring with that stuff, and you brought you grew up in a you know pretty Christian household. Apparently, did, not so you? Christian. My father wasn't Christian. Oh no, just your mom. Yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> my dad would take me to the track and the bookie <laughs> joints on Saturdays, and my yeah. mother would take me to church on Sunday. <laughs> so you got both sides. It was very yeah. very lovely childhood. Where Where'd you land spiritually though? Do you have oh. anything, or do you don't think about it? No, I'm not. I'm not religious at yeah. all. But do you, do you have any belief? Do you have any? What keeps you what, outside of the massive amount of supplements? What, keep, <laughs> what keeps right. you sane? The work. I'm not so sane. No, but I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't need anything like yeah. that. But you're not the character in Grace and Frankie either. You know, I mean, she's kind of a kook, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have friends that ended up like that from yeah, the old kind days. Of, yeah. kind of, well. The, that generation of um, kind of uh, free spirits from yeah. the time, you know what I mean? Yeah, she's living in a commune and stuff like right. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like I noticed that when I was watching Nashville that that all that that expansive way of life, the sexual nature and just the sort of open mindedness of that time. 
I, I I romanticize about it. Do you ever get nostalgic for it, or you or where am I or am I idealizing that period? No, I think. Uh, no, I don't get. I don't. I don't miss. It. I never was part of that. Yeah. I mean, I was part. I was part of everything. Yeah. Whenever I where I could play the room. Yeah. Right. 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 But you didn't get caught up with two trend the, no. the trends or everything. No. You know. I like drugs, but I don't take them. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I took them for I took them a little. I dabbled yeah, in them of course, and stuff right. like After that. After a certain point, you and it's make... fun. But then you think, oh God! I so my friends had Parkinson's. I'm so worried that. Oh, did they? They got it. A lot of them do. You think it was from the coke? I wonder. I wonder too. I, you know, I, I wonder too. If it didn't have some of some element, some maybe some it was cut with. Who knows? Yeah. Because I, 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 I've, I've thought about that myself. I guess at that time too, heroin was bad too. I mean, there's a lot of people. Went I down knew a from... lot of people who snorted heroin. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. And I guess died probably. Yeah, I don't know. Back in the day. I never did it either. Yeah, I tried it. Wasn't my thing. I snorted it once. I didn't. Yeah, I liked going fast. I didn't like going slow. Oh yeah, I like going fast. <laughs> I like going fast too. But yeah, but we, you know, you get older, you don't need that shit anymore. No, you don't. Because you want to stay alive. <laughs> That's part of it. Yeah, yeah, and also like you don't want to freak out. I mean, you know, you get to a certain age where if your heart starts fluttering, you know, <laughs> on its own, you're panicking. Why? Why increase the possibilities of that happening? I guess you're right. I guess that that's <laughs> that's probably the truth I came to in somehow intuitively. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, like, is it worth like? What do you want to panic when you're fucking seventy over drugs? I mean, I'm I'm like 56. I haven't I'm, I've been sober You've for 20 years. You've got a years. whole life ahead of you. <laughs> I know, and it doesn't involve cocaine <laughs> <laughs> or pot or anything. You've uh, got a whole life ahead of you. So wait, what season are we on with Grace and Frankie? We're going to be shooting seven, but six is in the can. Yeah, and that's so what's six on now. Will be released January 15th, and people love it. Yeah, they do. It must be great. Like there must be a whole audience for like you know people who have been with you forever. Like you know as the fans, there must be people who are like in their seventies now who have oh, been. All... Some people have died. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like you know you're a constant in people's lives, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it and, is. And, and you're an inspiration because you keep working, and now you're married and out and comfortable. You've had a relationship for fifteen years. You've never stopped working, and you keep doing. Uh, provocative stuff it, it's a you know it, i think it's it's just it gives people hope that uh you know life is worth living i think yeah that would be nice God. i think it's true i think i would like true. it but if we can't stop the climate well yeah well i mean uh i guess that uh, our days are that's for sure yeah i well okay we'll we'll work on that okay we'll do what we can on the day-to-day basis Enjoy uh, Grace and Frankie, and uh, I don't know. Try not to. Fr- oh God, we're back at the climate. <laughs> Australia is burning. Oh goodness, the koalas. So many. Oh no, the little kangaroos. Running, oh no, running. I hadn't fire. thought of that yet. Well, what, you're going to make me depressed. And what, I don't, what did I did even do? I it? don't get depressed you too the, much. You brought up the climate. I know. Well, I mean, then I dwell on the numbers and stuff. Let's not do it. Let's let's go. Uh, let's let's leave on a high note. Okay. It was very exciting to talk to you. I've been wanting to for a long time. It's I've been trying fun. to talk to you. I've talked way too much and and told a lot of. But it's all. It, these are nice little details. I all enjoyed right. all of it, and I'm glad you had fun Hope playing with the top. We don't lose any listeners. We're not losing anybody. Thank you, Lily. Thank you, Mark. 
I love her. What an amazing treat that was for me. It's just really great. She's just amazing to talk to, an amazing person. Uh, the new season of Grace and Frankie premieres on Netflix this Wednesday, January 15th. Go watch Nashville, though, if you, if you haven't done that in a while. Now let's fucking get psyched out. Let's do some psychedelic thing. Ah.